All right. In today's episode, part two and final part of the interview with professional capital raiser Justin Smith of Hawkeye Wealth. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge and skills that you need to start, grow and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. All right. So hope you're having yourself a wonderful day, everybody. Woo. Man, on fire here. We're we're cranking away in that, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode about that business idea that, that I had. Just been, it's coming out. I've had a couple really good conversations about, you know, bringing some people in. You know, remember, who not how. It's about the who's, bringing in the right who's, not the how it's going to get done. So I've been having some wonderful conversation with some amazing who's who can help bring out the how so more detail to follow but it, it woo, it's got me fired up to be honest it's the one it's something of late that it's going to get me up early in the morning keeping me up late it's one of those ideas that just it's one of those things that you just need to get done right so i know many of you have probably had that idea many of you have probably have thought about that you've got an idea in your head and it's just i just got to get it done you know and just come heck or high water we're going to get her out we're going to get her done and see where it goes right so that's one of those ideas that I'm just kind of going with right now. Okay, enough with all that. I'll keep this one tight, but I really want to encourage you to make sure you listen to this episode, but then dive into at the end of this one, we're going to share some insights, share my thoughts on this interview, share a couple deeper lessons to deepen the lesson for you on this episode. And now just what did you think of the first one? So here's the thing. If this is your first episode and you're just jumping in, this is episode 109. This will be part two of an interview that I did with a professional. You know, I, I originally called it the confessions of a professional capital raiser. You know, and it's it's from somebody who raises money for a living, right? Can you learn something if you're even just buying your first place of somebody who raises capital on a full-time basis? This is what they do. This is how they get compensated. They, you know, the way they pick up the telephone, the way they have their sales conversation, their CRM databases, all those kind of wonderful things. This is some of the stuff that we dove into. Did you pick up something from the first part? Okay. Now, in this final episode, we're going to talk a lot more of the story. We're going to deepen the insight. We're going to talk a lot more about the advance of the raising capital, going out to the public, protecting yourself from securities commissions, all the kind of those scary things out there that can potentially derail you. Okay. So that's what we're going to dive into with the interview with Justin and myself. But then make sure you stick around right to the end. And I'm going to share something with you is for the listening exercise that you were supposed to dive into and listen to. So did many of you look up the term Plata Oplomo? Did you look up what some of the references were? Did you hear a Plata Oplomo moment during uh, this interview so far? Or maybe it's in this upcoming episode. Hmm. Just don't know, do you? right now. Okay, gang. So let's all, let's get after it. This is part two of the interview with Mr. Justin Smith. All right. So the phone rang. Wasn't anybody important. Hey, you know what? Actually, CRA has a warrant for my arrest. And if I actually go bring them uh, iTunes gift cards at the local Walmart, they'll let me off the hook for my warrant for my arrest. So go figure that. So I hope you've never had that phone call. Better get those gift cards. <laughs> Better get those gift cards right away. Uh, that's, so we, that's, that's how to raise funds. That's right. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you scam people. You yeah. get people get people uh, that phone people and scam people to get gift cards at the Walmart oh, parking lot. It's so sad that it works. <laughs> and they, it, if, they can raise, if they can raise money doing that, yeah. you know, anybody can... Anybody can do uh, it. And, but we digress. So um, 
We've talked about the exemptions, and there's one that's not applicable to everyone across the country. But it's one that I've heard a lot, and I, I no one's been able to really give me a, a, the definition of it. It's called the Northwest exemption. Who's that applicable for, and, and what is that about? Yeah, the, the exemptions we've talked about so far have been more for on the investor side. What, yep. what is it that qualifies an investor, or what exemptions can an investor rely on to actually participate in these deals? Uh, the Northwest exemption refers to an exemption that a person receives to be able to legally raise funds, particularly in, uh, and this is the part where if I get it wrong, again, go and consult somebody yes. else because I'm not, I'm not your expert on it, but particularly in uh, BC, uh, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. Manitoba, or does it stop no, there? No, nope. not, not Manitoba. Story, story, story bomber fans, you're yeah, not included in this. Too. Certainly not yeah. Ontario, and things are changing. And, and mm-hmm. uh, what it allows... Some people to do if you qualify, and that's the big that's the big question. It's mm-hmm. the it's the if is it allows you to raise funds uh, using one of, as long as you're bringing in people that are able to rely on one of these exemptions, the accredited investor exemption, the offering memorandum exemption, as long as you're bringing investors that are able to use one of these exemptions to come in and participate in the deals, it allows you to go and and help raise funds for those deals without being registered, without being registered, and also not a direct ownership position in it. Or do I? Yeah. So. It's very important that you go in, and everybody's situation is different mm-hmm. here. But the three big, uh, I'm call them three big pillars for using the Northwest exemption. Number one, you can't have ever been registered in the past. Okay. If you were ever registered, and if you're wondering what that, what, what does that mean? What does registered mean? Yeah, you can't have ever worked with a uh, if you if you've been mutual funds licensed, or if you have been if you've been uh, a stockbroker or a financial planner of mortgage any kind. broker, mortgage brokers. Typically not. Uh, okay, yeah. It would not be a registrant, but what you can do, you can do a couple of things here. Number one, you can go on to the National uh, Registrant Database and, and mm-hmm. go and check whether you've been registered. Now, if you were registered before, forgive me if I get the dates wrong, but I believe it's around September 2008. That won't be, it, you, it won't appear on there. The records are only after 2008. Right. The best way to do it is to go and talk to the Securities Commission in whichever province you think you may have been registered in or or and so you can't have ever been a registrant. can't be registered okay. registered that, 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 yes. that is key mm-hmm. uh, the number two is the question around giving advice or suitability or or anything with regards to whether somebody should do something or whether it's a good you don't do it you steer away from it entirely is the general rule that will keep you out of so really water. you're just you'd be just presenting opportunities without giving any advice on what people should or should not do. Yeah, it's really difficult to navigate because mm-hmm. there's no real specific guidelines around that mm-hmm. clear yeses or nos. And when that's the case, you try and err on more on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. But anytime you're getting into that language of what somebody should do, or I think this is a good idea for you, anything mm-hmm. that implies that somehow that this might be suitable for that person, you want to steer clear of entirely. You're not registered to give advice. Right. Um, and you have to be very careful about perceptions of giving advice, especially, again, these usually come up if things go wrong. Yeah, I imagine that'd be, be almost like a he said, she said, in, in essence. So it'd probably come yeah. back into documents that have been tra- transacted and, that, and your paperwork and do you have disclaimers and much. a lot of that kind of stuff. Very much. Okay, so, so you can't you be registered and or can't, it can't be can't, a registrant. You can't have ever been a registrant. Yeah. And uh, you can't give advice. Can't yeah. give advice. Yeah. And then you can't act as a trustee or you can't receive funds on behalf of the investor. Somebody wants to give you money to go and, and put into another deal. That's just, that's, that's a no, no. So does that mean that the deal can't be yours? 
or it has to be another that's, entity. That is correct. Actually, the deal cannot be yours. And again, I just again, it's important here, Russ, because it gets complicated pretty mm-hmm. quickly. And I, I hope nobody's making decisions based off of what I'm saying here yeah. today. But from my experience, if you are in control of that money because you're you're managing the deal and you're getting paid a finder's fee. Mm-hmm. For that deal, you, you can control. There's certain criteria here that they're looking for right. here. So you, you can raise money. You can be, for example, if you have a limited partnership, general partnership structure, you can be a general partner. And general partner a, and, and have shares. A, a and yeah, yeah that, that is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Again, it's very, very important to you and go get it, make sure that this applies applies wow. to you. So, so it was, uh, yeah, it can never been a registrant, no advice. And then, and then the third is make sure you're not accepting funds. And there's, there's a few others as well, but mm-hmm. go on, go on just like the exemptions, go on and, and read the, the right. national instrument. Those would be the big, the big three. Yeah. Okay. So suffice it to say it's very, it's complex, right? And, and, and don't, don't be scared of complex, like embrace it. Cause quite honestly, um, if you embrace it, you learn it, you figure out the rules of engagement, you actually will be afforded opportunities that people will not actually, the people that have not embraced the complexity and then learning it, they'll just complain. And if you've learned it like you've done, you now have completely new, you're almost in a blue ocean with, with very few competitors because you've taken the time and effort to learn all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're just almost like a very a very small industry of almost one or two that you know that, that I'm aware of, right? Yeah. So speaking of that, let's change gears. So you're, and I could be wrong, so don't don't be embarrassed at all to correct me because it happens every day. You're what's called an exempt market dealer. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So an exempt market dealer, what does it take for somebody to become an exempt market dealer? And then you've now created your own wealth company, wealth management firm. Is that safe to call it wealth management or is it a... Yeah, it's more of a, uh, so it's called exempt market dealer and, and what our model is, at least for the time being, is to go and raise money for yep. third-party yep. providers of, of product. So we're not directly holding holding the accounts mm-hmm. with ourselves. The funds go directly from the investors to the deal makers or the issuers. Yep. So in the sense that we help manage people's wealth, I suppose. Yeah. Yes, that's the case. But okay. we don't directly hold the assets. So you've gone out, you've taken the time, you've educated yourself, you've gone through obviously a criteria process and testing process and certification process. Maybe just give us a little quick snapshot of what that entails. Because there, there might be, and I'm not trying to create more competition for you, but no, I, no, it's not. Uh, what would the process of somebody have to do to become an exempt market dealer? Yeah, you, you go through a pretty rigorous application process. You have to create a certain number of, of documents, you know, mm-hmm. policies and procedures manual, a code of conduct manual. You have to create your, um, know your client questionnaire, your mm-hmm. documents to make sure that you're asking the right questions to determine suitability for that client. You create your corporate structure mm-hmm. and you have to get an audit for that, an open and balance sheet audit for that structure as well. You have to uh, fund that structure uh, with at least, tends to be around $55,000 to make sure you're maintaining a certain amount of working capital mm-hmm. in that company at all at all times. Uh, at least those are the rules in, in BC. And again, Go and, and consult with your lawyer on yes. uh, what you think you should have in there. And then uh, on top of that, you need a few key roles. Uh, you need a few key roles. You need someone to be what's called cinnamon roll, jelly roll. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, you need, you need a, what's called a UDP or an ultimate designated person. This is the person that uh, is in charge of making sure that that you comply with all of the uh, the regulatory requirements. And then you've got uh, another person. Sometimes it, c- it can be the same person. It can be a one-man show. But 
I much prefer to have somebody mm-hmm. else have this role. You have what's called a CCO or chief compliance officer. Right. So they're not the one ultimately responsible for the compliance in the firm, but they're the one that monitor all of the compliance in the mm-hmm. firm and making, and it's their job to talk to the ultimate, converse with the ultimate designated person to right. make sure that compliance is being so you'd be taken seriously in the organization. Classified as registered. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. You're registered. And then that process of going and creating all the documents mm-hmm. and going through that, first of all, go and get somebody to help you yep. go through that process. There's a number of filings that happen and, and I just I had somebody help me through that process and, and it's it really smoothed it out a lot and mm-hmm. took a lot of weight off uh, my shoulders on that. The process takes as I can hear from as little as maybe three months because you once you submit your final application to the BC Securities Commission with all these documents and your audited financial statements and everything, they always come back with some questions and you have you know some back a back right. and forth period there. So as little as three months, and I've heard it take as long as, as up to two years okay. as well. And uh, I should also note that you, at some point, you have to decide which provinces you'll get registered in. So you have to go and make sure that your company is registered to do business in each of those provinces mm-hmm. that you're planning to raise funds in. And then you have to go through each securities commission right. as well. They have to approve. Now, now they piggyback on each other. So if BC approves it, the chances of you know, everybody else approves it here. Ontario has their own independent process right now. So they approve you separately. So suffice it to say, you've taken the time and effort and time, lots of time and financial investment that you had to put into this as well in order to get to the point where you now, you essentially are, when it comes to raising capital from the public, you have dotted your I's, crossed your T's, you've got your seatbelt on and you're ready to, you're loaded for bear. If Correct. Yeah, we're, yeah. yeah, we've been out raising funds for yeah. for a number of months now. Okay, so let me. I'm going to run down this question and and stick with me for a second. I'm going to, guys. This is going to help you. So let's say I'm, uh, and is there a threshold of amount of money that makes sense for me to come engage you with first? Is there kind of a threshold that capital needs to raise because that'll determine the story I'm going to paint for you as well? Yes, there is. I would say yes. So I'd say a couple things here. If you're an investor and mm-hmm. you do deals and you're saying, you know. Maybe I should go and consider engaging in EMD. I would mm-hmm. ask myself a few Great. Good questions. Well, what would those questions be? Number one, I would say, do I have a really solid business model and product? Yep. And be honest, be brutally honest yep. with yourself. Because if you don't have a really competitive product out there and go and ask others, ask people that'll tell you, not the ones that are your cheerleaders, go yep. ask the ones that'll tell you the truth that yep. if your product's competitive. Because if you go to an exempt market dealer, and there's there's a number of them that you can approach to do your deal with. If you go to an exempt market dealer and, and you don't have a very good product, it might be a red flag if they start making promises about what they're right. about what they're gonna do for you. Their their butts on the line if it's a little stinky. Well, it, it, it is, it is. And what I've noticed uh, as well, a very common practice in the industry is to collect a large amount of whether it's due diligence fees. So if someone goes to an exempt market dealer, they may say, hey, you know, I know what, it takes me a while to go and do due diligence on your deal. Mm-hmm. So it's going to cost you X number of dollars. Maybe it is it 10, 20, $30,000 to go and do due diligence on your deal. And then we expect a marketing budget to go in and yeah. market your deal as well. So what you want to make sure is you want to do your, do your homework on the exempt market dealer. Because if you don't have a good product and they're making promises that they're going to raise money mm-hmm. before they've mm-hmm. done the due diligence yep. on your deal, like if, if they're not doing their due diligence on your deal before they make any kind of commitments or promises, there should be a massive red flag for you. And especially if on top of that, they're charging you due diligence fees and finder's fees because they might just be motivated to go take your 30, 40, $50,000 
tell you that they're going to raise you X number of dollars. Mm -hmm. And really it just, the product just kind of goes and sits there and they don't ever actively promote it. So two things here, number one, make sure you have a good, you have a good product. Cause if you're going to find a reputable Mm -hmm. EMD, they just won't take your deal if it's not a good product. Right. They wouldn't be able to sell it. They wouldn't be able to sell it. (laughs) If you brought it to me and I said, you want to what, you know, I think you need a little bit more of a track record. You need to Mm -hmm. go back and and rethink this a little bit and then come back. And is it, do you come back in six months? Do you come back in a year? But our brand is we, we want to bring the best opportunities to investors. Mm-hmm. So we don't just, you don't let anybody in the door. Well, that's why you're Hawkeye wealth, right? You're not, you're not magpie or, 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 or that kind of wealth. You're, you're Hawkeye wealth, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, there are a few reasons behind the name. Maybe we'll get into that in another in another interview. Yeah. But again, yeah, those two things. Be good. If you're good, you'll attract mm-hmm. a good EMD. And if you got a poor product, or get find out if you have a, good, a poor product or a good product, because and if an EMD is offering you a lot, and you're not so sure if your product's very good, I think that's a big red flag. Right. So the, the key really becomes get get yourself a track record before you engage. And so when you say you're looking for larger dollar amounts, yeah, you're certainly not, you're you're not coming to an EMD for your first deal. Right, yeah. You've got a track record and you've done this for a little while. Okay, so perfect context for the question I'm going to ask. So let's just say a bald-headed real estate investor who knows Justin is looking to do a 28-unit apartment conversion into condominiums. Done the work, the numbers are coming in, there's some good margin to be made to condominiumize and sell them out as each individual units and got commercial financing, got it all lined up, got everything, crews, all the work, everything's ready to rock and roll. And I'm about two and a half million dollars short for the purchase and maybe even some renovation funds, right? So I need to raise two and a half million bucks. I can go do it myself, you know, the old fashioned way, potentially of all the things we talked about before, which is good, or I could, which would be t- take a lot of time and I'm doing other things, or I could come to you, would that be something that you would entertain or how much would it cost me or what is the process? Would you want to work with a guy like, let's say I pass all your diligence tests and all so, those kind of things. The scallywag. Is that something that I could come to a guy like you and, and we could work something out or how, what would be the process? Well, it would start the conversation. Certainly what I've found is I don't think that's the ideal context or mm-hmm. the ideal scenario to yep. be approaching an EMD on when you really need money. It, well, it puts you in a bad negotiating position, right? <laughs> first of all. But more importantly, when, when I'm looking at that, I say, okay, well, this person is going to need money and they're going to need it quick. Okay, okay let's, say, let's say I'm just in concept. I have five opportunities. I could do the deal or not. I, yeah. I'm, I'm not in a panic or whatever. I'm looking at my options. I could go raise it myself yep. or I could come talk to you get the ball rolling on the relationship. I always tell mm-hmm. people that the due diligence on the deals, it happens pretty quickly. If you have a deal and wherever your deal is here, Calgary, Edmonton, yep. the US, you can hop on a plane, you can go through, you can check all the numbers, view the land mm-hmm. or the property or whatever it is, whatever. Let's just say I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. It makes rock solid sense. I'm ready to put it out to my people that have money or I want to engage you. Yes. What's, very, what's the process? I'm very slow to onboard issuers. Right. Very slow. Okay. In this business, if you want to be in the business of raising capital, mm-hmm. you need to protect it. Yep. That is your first priority is, is protecting it. And then it's performance. The two, those two P's. Here, you protect it and then, and then you grow it. And that due diligence process, when someone, an issuer, potential issuer comes and approaches us, that process takes time. So my default, and we've got a lot to lose if a deal goes sideways, mm-hmm. my default is to say, hold up. Okay. Let's, okay. Let's, again, the, the due diligence on the deals is measured in days and weeks. The due diligence on the people is yeah. measured in years. So if you want to go and raise money from an EMD before the concept stage, before anything, go and meet these people and go and okay. get to know them, build those relationships. Because 
any exempt market dealer worth their salt is going to put you through a pretty rigorous process. Okay, what is that process? Okay, let's maybe, and maybe this isn't fair. I'm trying to get an analogy that could understand. Let's say I already own the place. I've got the money. I've already did. And what I want to do is I actually want to pull out $3 million to go buy another one. And I want you to raise the capital on a property and an asset that I already own, right? So then I could take that capital and go buy the next one. Now, and I totally understand it's going to take time and it's going to take diligence and you're going to, you know, you're going to look under the hood and you're going to do the sniff test. You're going to go through all that kind of stuff. What's the process? Yeah, you're going to go in. You're certainly going to comb through all the numbers. Mm-hmm. And the big underlying assumption on this, Russ, is you trust the person. Yep. It's very much, you know, for me, the competence is very much secondary to the character mm-hmm. because, and especially we've been in the lower mainland here for a long time and the market's done, the market's done, you know, doing mm-hmm. a little bit of this now, yep. but, but for the most part, it's almost been hockey stick uh, yep. performance in this market. And there's a lot of people out there that have, a, I believe, a false sense of confidence in their abilities. The a rising market covers a, mm-hmm. a lot of sins. So really, my first thing is figuring out what this person has gone through when the market hasn't performed. Mm-hmm. I think that's really what's revealing of a lot of deal managers. Uh, yep. So the ability to execute as a team, the, yeah. abil- the ability to execute and, mm-hmm. and the ability to execute in unfavorable yep. market conditions is a must. So that's really where I would start. So we, I know we, we kind of talked a little bit about the deal, but mm-hmm. my start is just, it's just not where I start my due diligence process. And that's why it takes longer. Right. You, you get to know these people and you don't just get to know them. You, it's just, you know how this is, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're in a small city. Yep. You talk to a couple of people and said, hey, you should interview Justin. That's how, that's how we're here today. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I'm here today. Yep. You've got, like you say, you've got one reputation, right? And you can find out very quickly what Rust or what anybody else is about mm-hmm. by going and asking 10 very well-connected people in this city. Okay. Not, not very hard to do, but once once you're comfortable with that. Yeah, so you've searched out everything and we're you, six months in and no. we've, we've danced <laughs> and we've hugged and we've sang kumbaya and beat drums and, and you like what you see, right? Yes. Work with me, your brother. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm Certainly, teasing. no, you do, you do your due diligence. See, see, you get, see this due is, diligence on the deal. This is how tough this guy is. He's already doing it. We haven't even got a deal in place. He's already putting me through the ringer. That's the quality that you want of a good EMD. Right? You, you do your due diligence on the deal. And assuming you, the, the character and the competence yep. and everything is good, our questions, you know, we, we ask a variety of, of course, we go and do our technical analysis. Yep. It goes through, you've used your assumptions. We'll use our assumptions, yep. do the sensitivity analysis. Yep. And, and that, that process, if you have competence shouldn't take you know we're, we're talking weeks yep. maybe, maybe months here but but usually that can be done in days and weeks certainly you'd look into doing the deal another thing that an, an emd will look for if you're going in and you want to raise money from me and let's say you're looking at doing multifamily in canada mm-hmm. and i've got i've already got an issue that i have a very good relationship with that's doing multifamily in canada mm-hmm. that might be a little bit of harder of a harder sell right. for that emd so also maybe as a person doing a deal, go get a sense for this exempt market dealer, what their focus right. well, is. Right, well, I'd be doing my homework on you too. You, you do, do your, do your yep. homework, absolutely do your homework on us and, and go and find out what deals the agents are promoting because mm. you can, the top might be telling you one thing, but the agents in, in the company might have their go-to deals and it right. might not be yours, Russell. So yeah, I understand. So uh, find out if there's a, a fit in their shelf for your product. So and the term shelf is a product that you have you, to sell to your investors. You in got essence. it. So okay. if, we, if we've got a shelf of potential it's a retail store, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> pull correct. out Russell's here, pull out this person. You, you know, okay, so. You got it. So I passed all the tests. We're on there. In order to get onto your shelf, what has what, to happen? What happens? You end up doing an agency agreement. Yep. It goes through, it lays it lays out, you know, who covers what expenses. It goes and lays out what compensation is for the exempt market dealer in this business. 
And I think it's something that the whole industry can do better is it needs to get lighter on, it needs to get lighter on fees. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of the, there's a big cost in compliance and there's a big cost in operating, operating these companies. So what you'll tend to see a lot of the exempt market dealers that are having more success, they're going more towards the more sophisticated, more accredited investors, yep. just because on a per client or per dollar raised basis, it's just, you're just a lower cost base. It allows you to go and charge lower fees and those right. lower fees then in turn allow you to go and attract higher yep. dollar investors. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to go through the agency agreement here. You're going to see finders fees. They, they range. You're going to see them maybe four or 5% on the very low end for capital. Four raised. to five on. So if a million dollars is need to raise, four, it'd be 40,000 bucks, 40, 50,000 bucks. 40, 50,000 on the low end. On yeah. the high end, you're going to see getting closer to that 8% mark. Okay. Do you pay the marketing fees to go out in that? Or do I have to fund that as well? Or what is that? So the way it works uh, for us, at least, is the investor directly pays their funds to the issuer. And then the deal pays out, the issuer pay out the funds to Hawkeye Wealth. Mm-hmm. Now, we can get into the nuances of who's paying every once in a while. I'll mm-hmm. see a marketing piece say, the issuer pays the finder's fee. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh a little bit when I see it because there's one person that pays us for the value we add and it's the client. Yes. Yeah. It, it, that's it's, no, it's no different than if you're buying a house and they say, well, the seller's paying. No, it's seller's paying the realtor's commission. Well, no, it's the buyer's money that's going to pay the seller's commission, right? There yes. It is. So. yes. <laughs> it, it, it's, so I, I try not to get too caught up on who's paying it. Yeah. it. It's a question of am I adding the value to get paid what I get paid yeah. in this business? So, you know, at the end of the day, it costs money. First of all, there's diligence costs. Yeah. Right. There's a portion of the capital raise that has to go to the person that does the work. Yeah. There's, um, you know, I probably would have to put together a website and collaterals and all that kind of stuff and selling materials, or is that the EMD? All all negotiated as per the agency. Okay. As per the agency agreement. So on the expense side, you've got a few different expenses. You've got creating marketing collateral. You've also got just in general marketing costs, whether it be trade show, if you're going to do online pay-per-click or, or mm-hmm. Facebook advertising or however you're going out and, and generating those leads. And depending, it's it's really it's give or take in, in different yeah. areas as well. There's also the aspect of exclusivity, yeah. whether they're going to have exclusive access to raise funds for you or not. Hmm. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm actually, here's what's happening with a lot of these interviews is there's just so much to cover and there's just such an onion and so many different layers I honestly think that there's a conversation that you and I can have about just truly the marketing end of things of how do you go out and attract, you know, most people won't be out public marketing and things like that, but, but what are some of the practices to go out there and attract things like that? That could be a wonderful conversation. I think there's something that can help you out there too as well. That is way more fun than talking about (laughs) Exactly. So I think that could be the next conversation. Yes. So suffice it to say, in order to work with a fellow like yourself or a company in EMD, firm like yourself. It's not a pull one out, call them up. And next week we're doing business together. It's it's a process. It's going to cost some money. And then number one is I need to have a good product that you can actually sell. And, uh, you know, I need to have, you know, you're going to like the cut of my jib and I got to have a good track record and have a proven system that can actually fulfill upon the promises. Correct. And right? you, should, you should expect the same of any EMD that you engage. Right. Do, do your homework. So before we do sign off, and I got a couple of final questions I do want to ask here as well. So some people might be watching this and may go, you know what? That's right up the alley I'm looking for. I guess I know the answer to this already is, are you looking for some new clients? Always. Always, yes. Always. <laughs> um, how would somebody get hold of you? Go to our website. It's yeah. hawkeyewealth.com. Yeah. Hawkeye, like 
I have a Hawk. Yes, HawkeyeWealth.com. HawkeyeWealth.com. Uh, we have our, our phone number on there as well as the, the mm-hmm. e- emails for everybody on the team are on there. Are you also open to, do you, do, you mentioned before about a consultant, that sometimes there's some people in the doing some consultant work on people through this. Do you do that work as well, like in, con, a consultancy role with some people? Not directly, but if you reach out to me personally, yeah. I'm happy to connect you with the people that I think are excellent in this industry, be that resource for you. Nice. So we're back. We just absolutely burnt through another battery in the camera. You know, Justin's over here just dropping one bomb, a uh, truth bomb after one, after another, after another. So we've covered lots of ground. We've covered, you know, the whole conversation around fear of raising capital. We've covered all the um, how does somebody scale and start the process of going into, um, you know, raising public capital and how do you protect yourself? Uh, we then start talking about the whole realm of the exemptions. We talked about exempt market dealer and highly recommend guys, you reach out to Justin. If you are in that space where you're looking to outsource the raising of capital and you got a fantastic product, talk to Justin. He's got a track record. And I just know some of the people you've worked with, it's just results speak for themselves. So make sure you reach out to him. So what I always want to do is just kind of on the final, I always want to just kind of, ah, I should have, a, I should have the fireplace going, but it's in the middle of summer here. <laughs> and we have a little fireside chat. And the last part of the segment is we just talk about um, what would your advice? So you've been in this business for a while now. You've seen some good, the bad, and the uglies. What advice would you give to somebody watching this? The people who are going to be watching this are going to be anywhere from somebody who's just raising their first 100000 to somebody who's probably going to be raising $100 million, right? So there's, there's a wide gamut, but there are some fundamental truths. What would be your best advice and best tips you would offer people that are watching this that uh, in the realm of raising capital? I'll start with the philosophical. The philo- oh, yeah. we're going deep. <laughs> Hang on. Let's get out the sitar. Fire, and the fire, fire, fireside <laughs> chat. Yeah. No, I really, I do, I do. I believe it starts with belief, believing in yourself. When I, I told you a little bit about the story when I got started in this business and, and was able to raise enough capital on that month, that month that my wife allowed me to continue uh, doing what I'm doing. And shortly after that, you realize that you can't just do it for one month. You need to, there's a lot of months, there's a lot of, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of months that follow that. And for me, uh, I got started helping investors get participated, helping investors participate in uh, individual condos, townhomes, houses up in, in Northeast BC. And I remember I was working on a project with Dave Steele and I'd sold my first property the month before and we were doing the sales meeting where the developer's trying to get an idea as to how many each agent are going to sell that month so that they can forecast. And just previous to this meeting, I'd been walking again with my wife and I said, you know, sold one property. I'm like, I bet we could sell two, you know, double it up mm, for the, uh, yeah. for the next project. And we were in the sales meeting and Dave's going around and everyone's telling how many units they're going to sell, you know, five or seven or eight or whatever it is. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, two is the number in my head. I'm yeah. like, I can't, I can't say two. <laughs> <laughs> it's going around where the heat's on. I'm like, so it comes around to me and what comes out of my mouth, I'm like, four. And I, mm. I say it with some, with some gusto, yeah, with some yeah. energy, like, yeah, like four. And I'll never forget it. Uh, Dave kind of just drops his head a little bit and he's like, just, you know, I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were going to say like 10. <laughs> And, and my heart just sank, my heart sank, you know, at first. And then, and then my second thought was, well, I'm, I'm glad I didn't say two. <laughs> this is the reaction I'm getting with four, but I went and I got to work. Yeah. Uh, I went and I picked up the phone and, and we're in a business of, if you do a, you get B and we spend our lives trying to figure out exactly what 
you know, to make A better correlate with B. Yeah. If we want funds raised is what we're going after. We want to make sure Give that we're doing focus. Causal. Really yeah, good yeah, focus, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I went and I uh, got a little bit better clarity around what things were required to go and, and make the sales. And and uh, in what happened was you started to believe. And, you know, you sell, you sell your first unit and then you sell your second unit. And then, you, you know, you're getting past your four that you thought was a crazy number that you throw out in the middle mm-hmm. of the meeting. And I went on to sell 14 units uh, nice. in, in that project. And yeah, it was, it was the first time where I realized that I had such limiting beliefs. And it's not just people that are just getting started, people that are very far along the way, they can get caught up with these, with these limiting beliefs. And one thing that I realized helped me on this occasion was having somebody else realize that I had a limiting belief. Dave telling me that, you know, being disappointed and saying, I thought I would say 10 made me realize that that I, I might not understand my ceiling. So number one is go and talk to some people. Go and talk to some people that have achieved more than you have. You know, unless mm. unless you're, who's the richest right now, Jeff Bezos? Yeah, well, maybe I'll have him on the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, sure, I'm, sure he's coming, I'm sure he's coming next week. But yeah. go, and, go and talk to some people that have done more than you and, and work on mm. your belief because we're, we are awful judges of what we're capable of very often. Well, you just actually hit the nail on the head of what I'm trying to accomplish at the Raising Capital Academy is introducing people like yourself, introducing... You know, those people that are out there doing the transactions. I'm also introducing people that are doing their first deals to things like that and looking for some help too. So I 100% believe in the belief and seeing the belief from other people. Yes. So fantastic. Yes. Any other? Yeah, yes, certainly get clarity about what you're wanting to do. I know a lot of people, they don't spend the time to think through their thoughts and think through their actions uh, and, and create a plan before they go about it. Get clarity around what your plan is. Because if you want to raise money in this business, it's a business of clarity. If people out there have money, there's lots of money out there, Russell. Mm-hmm. These walls are oozing, everything's oozing with money. Yeah. No, there's, there's it's got beautiful. it. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> there's a lot of money out there. And if you have a good product and you're mm-hmm. able to offer clarity about what that product is, the money will find you because those accredited investors, the people with the money, they want to make decisions. Mm-hmm. They want to invest. They want to give you their money if you're giving them you know, a good product and you're clearly explaining what that product is. Yeah. So people oftentimes don't spend the time around getting clarity. And actually, that's one thing I was grateful for. This whole process of starting the EMD took me a number of months. It took me about eight months from conception to having everything mm-hmm. launched and, and raising funds. And that eight months was wonderful to be able to zoom out of the business. Bird's eye view, I call yeah, it. Yeah, the Hawkeye view. Yeah, yeah, bird's yeah. eye to get a Hawkeye focus. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bird's eye view. Zoom out of the business and really get clarity about what I'm trying to accomplish here. Not just for one year, not just for five years, but for 10, 20 years. Wow. Go and create some big goals and, and get clarity around that. That's that's number two. And then number three, this just sound really simple, but it's really hard. Don't lose people's money. <laughs> and then the next one is see the rule before, right? <laughs> yeah, well... We're in the business of building relationships, Russ. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything we do, what we're doing here, this is relate. This is relationship yep. building. Every time you go and talk to somebody, you're building trust. You're leaving, and every time you build that trust, it takes time. It takes a long time. It takes years to build it, and it disappears. Mm-hmm. It can disappear like that. So in this business, a lot of people forget that you know if you're filling your bucket full of funds, well. What you really need to make sure is you don't have a hole in the bottom of your bucket. And if you can, you're always going to have a small hole in the bottom of your bucket. People that don't like you or people that die. I don't know. (laughs) Things, things, Things happen. But if you figure out how to minimize that hole, and a big part of that is not losing people's money, it just becomes a question of make the calls, have the coffees, make the connections, add the value. And you do that and you'll add the clients over the years. And as they like you and your deals perform reasonably they will come back to you. 
And not only will they come back to you after you get your track record after three, four, five years, they won't just come back to you. They'll come back to you with their brother, their Mm. aunt, their friend, John. And that's really how you make it in this business. If you want to talk about scaling, get a good product, offer clarity. And most growth curves in this world, Russ, they're not like this. Mm -hmm. Most growth curves in this world are like this. So if it's taken, if if you're slowly adding those clients and you're doing performance and you're just you're concerned that it's taking too long. Don't worry. One day you're going to hit this and you're going to, you're going to grow massively, but it gets dramatically set back. If you lose people's money, wow. vigilantly guard your client's money. Belief, clarity, and don't lose people's money. <laughs> I, call it vig- I call it vigilance, Hawkeye. Vigil- yeah, vigilance. Let's, get, let's, get, let's yeah. get the other Hawkeye, yeah. uh, Hawkeye uh, reference in wow. there. Brilliant, brilliant. So, and I just wanted to first and foremost, couple things. I wanted to show some appreciation for you to come out this way, come out to the studio. It's a, it's an ordeal. Anytime you have to cross a bridge in the lower mainland, it's an ordeal. To, as people know, are shaking their head and, and agreeing in Vancouver. Anytime you have to cross a bridge, it, it takes a commitment to get someplace. But most importantly, just your willingness to just share, your willingness to just be open and just, you know, open up everything and you share some incredible stories. You shared an incredible journey in the process. And I'm just touched and honored and I just wanted to thank you for coming and sharing everything that you did. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank right you, on. Russ. Really appreciate the opportunity. Any final words of inspiration for that camera right there? Or let's go in this one over here. That camera right there. Oh, final man. words of inspiration. This is your moment. Your moment to shine, Justin. You got a moment of inspiration you want to share for people that are just getting yeah, rocking and rolling? I'll, I'll pull on a quote. I think it's one that the world desperately needs. And it goes something like this. It is easier to act your way into feeling than feel your way into action. Everyone wants to wait to go and raise money until they're confident enough to go and, and do it or, or they want to pick up the phone once they're full of energy and, and they know everything's good. Pick up the phone. The energy, the feeling, everything you want is on the other side of your action. And I found that time and time uh, again. So stop waiting to feel something and get out and do it. That and go on lots of walks with your wife because you have a lot of clarity when you have wives, that conversation. Wives. <laughs> wives are wonderful for, the, uh, for that. It's process. funny. The, one of the last interviews I had too, uh, Mike with Mike Ponte, which good friends of both of ours. Yes. He said his wife having a conversation with his wife. She just said, "Present, pitch your deal to me," and she goes, "Well, that's terrible." Right? <laughs> she goes, "Well, make sure you just you know this, 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 and this. So make sure we talk to our spouses because yeah. they're our partners in this w- as well. Wonderful assets. <laughs> right on. All right, guys." This is Justin Smith. Thank you very much. An incredible interview here. So stay tuned for the next interview upcoming. Russell West, go to hashtag JVJedi. Bye for now. All right. So I sure hope you enjoyed this two-part interview with Mr. Justin Smith. What were some of your key takeaways? Is this the kind of content you really enjoy? Is this the kind of content that uh, fires you up? Is this the kind of content that maybe is the weakest link in your your business? Maybe it's the weak link that you just need to lean into. Maybe you're so busy right now painting bathrooms and picking out backsplashes and putting in installing toilets that you just go, Ross, I can't even think about raising capital. I'm just so busy in my business, right? Once you make that pivot to who not how, that having other people to start doing a lot of these tasks for you, you will then free yourself to get into your realm of brilliance, what you do best. Now, don't get me wrong. If what you do best is the bookkeeping, 
and the tenant management and the property management and the organization of the files and bringing in all that and organization of the contractors and stuff like that. And, and if you're the best person to, to be able to install a, a toilet in your property, then by all means, if that's your zone of brilliance, go with it. Keep going with it. But if you have aspirations to grow this and aspirations to build this business, then you're going to have to support yourself with other people around you on how do you acquire property? How do you raise the capital? Who's the, the mortgage financing source? Who's the leader of the marching band? Who's the person to get onto the podcast and, you know, sing the praises of your business, if you will. Okay. So just take a look. Um, I'm going to encourage you to take a look within your business. And are you doing everything that you're brilliant at? Because here's the thing, and this is the, an analogy I use for a lot of people, is um, many of you have aspirations and you will come to me and say, you know, I want to start raising capital from higher net worth individuals, right? If that's you, you know, raise your hand, right? You know, I can't see you, but physically raise your hand if that's you that you'd like to start raising some money from higher net worth individuals. Okay, so let's imagine you're sitting in front of a higher net worth individual and you're talking to them about your real estate business and you're talking to them and you come there and you got drywall dust everywhere and you got paint in your hands and you tell them about all the, you know, I was just out there, oh man, I'm so stressed out and so crazy. I was picking out backsplash yesterday. I was up last night painting, painting this bathroom because the floor is coming in next. And I, oh geez, I still got to get the trim and stuff like that. The higher net worth per individual is going to sit there and go, wow, man, you're, you're really busy in your business. And the higher net worth individual is probably sitting there going, yeah, man, this person, wonderful. I don't know if I'd want to partner with that person because they're so busy doing the job of a contractor, doing the job of a property manager, doing the job of a bookkeeper. Now, let's imagine you sat down in front of a higher net worth individual and you talked to them about the team meeting you just had of where you've organized your reno crew and you've structured them out for the next nine months of projects that are coming out. You've then had a deep dive conversation about some tax planning with your bookkeeping, accountant, and CPA. Then you also had some uh, high-level conversations with your EA team and your administration team on the marketing side about how many leads are coming in for all your new properties, things like that. The high net worth individual who maybe has built their own businesses and they're going, hmm, this person knows what they're talking about. They're building a team. They're scaling. They're growing. I might feel comfortable putting some capital up with this person as opposed to putting some capital up with somebody who's a jack of all trades and somebody who's doing everything and probably not doing, you know, working in their business as opposed to working on their business. Okay. So just give that some consideration. All right. Now, for many of you, if you listened to episode 108, I gave you a listening exercise to do. Now I'm going to circle back and I'm going to complete the loop on that. We talked about a term called plata oplomo. Did many of you look it up? Did you see what it's about? Some of you might already understand what it is. So I'm going to just do tell you a quick story about this. And I'm also going to tell you where the inspiration for me telling this on stage came from. It came from this interview I did with Justin. And it came from that time when Justin was having a conversation with his wife and she was sitting down and they were, he was six months into this business of raising capital and nothing. Month one, zero. Month two, zero. Month three, zero. And wife was going, oh, Justin, when are we going to start seeing some money here? You know, we got bills to pay. We have, we have to, to make this work. And then all of a sudden after month six, she sat him down and said, Justin, you either you make this work or you got to go get a job. <gasps> a 
that's like the death of an entrepreneur is, you know, you've, you've quit your job and you're doing this and I'm going to make this a go of this and stuff like that. And then you have to go back and get a job. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make anything wrong with having a job. I think having a job is a fantastic strategy until you can get the cash flow, until you can get the business operations, until you can get this up and running, please keep your job. Or maybe one of the spouses keeps a job for a lot of that. And then the other maybe does the entrepreneurial thing. Because this entrepreneurial thing is difficult. I've been doing it for, geez, for 15, almost 20 years. And uh, it's tough. Like some days I sit there, I wish I had a job. I truly do. But the rewards at the end are really worth it if you stick it out. Okay, so remember, Justin was having a conversation with his wife. She told him that he had to go get a job and said, if you don't make $10,000 this month in commissions, you got to go get a job. Justin said, oh boy. So he had, at that time, he had a Plata Oplomo moment. And it was like, all he had to, you know, another way of looking at it is you've heard the old famous saying is burn the ships, right? Once you go to the island, you burn the ships, there's no retreating. He had no opportunity to retreat. So he had to go out and he had to make $10,000 in the next month in order to do that. And then as the story goes in the first part of this episode, he made $10,035 in commissions. And that was the starting point to kick off the whole Hawkeye wealth, all the things that he was going. And I think it was, he said, four, four months later, his, his wife quit her job to go full-time in the business with him. So a Plata Oplomo moment is, you know, the best way to describe it is so the literal definition of Plata Oplomo means silver or lead. And it's uh, for any of you, if you're familiar with the, it was really popularized recently on the Netflix series Narcos, where it was, it was a, it's a, it's a mafia term, a mafia I guess that's the best way. It's the Colombian drug lords, where if they ever wanted to have a law changed, they, you know, they went to the politicians of the day and they sat there in the middle of the night and they had a, a revolver and they had a bag of silver and they gave them an opportunity. We want this law changed. Here's your opportunity. The silver or the lead, right? That was the Plata Oplomo moment. And uh, lo and behold, the politician did the uh, did the thing of saying, well, geez, I don't want to take a bullet. You know, I want to. I, so they made the change. Now, don't hear me incorrectly here. I'm not telling you to do things illegally. I'm not telling you to bribe people and I'm not telling you to do anything that detrimental. What I'm just trying to share with you in this moment as a teaching moment of creating a mental plata oplomo moment within yourself, creating a sense of urgency. I don't think enough people have a sense of urgency to get something done. Justin in that story had a sense of urgency. Either you make $10,000 in commissions this next month, or you're going back to get a job. That was his plateau plummet. He had a sense of urgency and he was going to do whatever it took. Okay. Creating an artificial sense of urgency when there is no urgency is an incredible skill set to have as an entrepreneur is, you know, and I, I heard the term used, I think it was Grant Cardone or Damon John that talked about is, you know, if you have money in the bank, pretend you have no money and always be hungry to make this business work with no money invested. How do you get hungry to make this business work without using your own capital? Okay, so with that comes back to this is. Are you creating Plata Oplomo moments for yourself within your business, within your goals, within your dreams, within your aspirations? Are you creating a sense of urgency 
that will keep you up late at night, get you up early in the morning, and just make you do whatever it takes ethically and legally to get it done. Okay. Now, for some of you, if you've been listening, uh, I'm going to share a story here. This is something I shared within an earlier episode of my podcast. I think it was episode 13. And it was, um, oh, how to overcome the imposter syndrome. So if any of you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 13 about overcoming the imposter syndrome. And in there, uh, I talk about sense of urgency. That's one of the biggest ways to overcome the fear of putting it out there, overcome that imposter syndrome, overcome, oh, what if uh, people are going to judge me, is give yourself a sense of urgency. And then in that episode, I shared the story of, you know, for some of you, if you are parents and you have children, okay, if you're sitting there and you're watching your children play, and then all of a sudden they're they're playing out on the railroad tracks. I know when I grew up in small town Saskatchewan, that's one thing we did all the time was we played on the railroad tracks. We put the little pennies on the railroads and after the train would come by, we'd wave at them and they'd honk their horn and they'd flatten the pennies and all that kind of stuff. Now, just imagine if your child is and children are playing on the railroad tracks and they fall and they stumble and you're a ways away and you see a train coming. There's imminent danger that your children are in imminent danger. Are you going to just sit there and go, well, Johnny and little Nicole, move, right? Are you going to, are you going to sit there and go, move, run? You're going to do whatever it takes to get out there to get, get them off the train track. You're going to lift heaven and earth to be able to do this because your child is in danger. That is a sense of urgency. Now, do you have senses of urgency within your business? What if you had a a property that you needed to raise $100,000 for in the next uh, three weeks? Do you have a sense of urgency that you're willing to pick up the telephone and call people? Create those senses of urgency within your business and in a time period, in a year, six months, six years, you won't even recognize who you are because that is a skill set. That is something that you just need to cultivate. It's like a muscle that you need to strengthen. Okay. As you can tell, I'm getting all fired up here. (laughs) Okay. Maybe I'll just leave it there. Please, in anything you do, guys, create those senses of urgencies, create those healthy plata o plomo deadlines within your business, burn the ships, whatever analogy you need to do, what are you going to do if the kids are on the railroad track, whatever analogy you need to do between your right ear and your left ear in order for you to take the required action to execute, to make this work, implement it and get her done. Okay. Okay. Hope you enjoyed this last two-part episode with Mr. Justin Smith. More is coming, everybody. Have yourself a wonderful day. And remember, and every interaction you have with another person. Always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.